This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. Want to get away? Zane Schweitzer has made a life of it. it it's interesting because when it first hit, I was actually on an airplane going to you know, and uh, all, I was with my team of, of surfers. We were on our way to a longboard competition in Bali. And when we landed the airplane, everyone went into this panic. Everyone's phones are blowing up and there's alerts going off. Zane is one of the best ocean athletes in the world, but even he can't escape a pandemic. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Zane Schweitzer is an accomplished athlete on the ocean. He's parlayed that into a diverse career, including being an author, a speaker, and an environmentalist. And this year's been different. He's not touring to events like normal because nothing is normal. So he's using this time to help create a better place when the world does indeed reopen, oceans and all. Our guest this week is one of the best watermen in the world, Zane Schweitzer, who is a 15-time world champion, a two-time ultimate waterman, a five-time master of the ocean, a author, and an activist. And it is great to have you here, Zane. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, aloha, Bram. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes, aloha it is. You're calling, we're calling you from Maui, Hawaii. Um, I, I, how, um, how's the pandemic in Hawaii? How are things going? Well, for sure. Uh, we've had the lowest population that I've ever seen growing up here in Hawaii. And so it's kind of unique in a sense to see the population what it was maybe in the 70s or 80s. And, uh, but of course, it's been uh, a little challenging for a lot of people, for sure. People are out of work. And it is expensive to live here in, in Hawaii. Yeah, the most basic of things compared to the mainland, and so it's drawn a lot of people out of state. But um, so that's the the bad side. That the good side of it is, I've definitely noticed the change in our environment. Is you know, with less people on the roads and water, and just in general, you know, it's amazing how in this short amount of time the environment has been able to bounce back a little bit. You know, seeing things like uh, different species of fish come into inshore areas, huh. uh, waterways coming off. Um, that's really interesting. You're seeing different species. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the offshore fish. Uh, you know, I think you're also diving and spend a lot of time in the ocean and. You know, with uh, a lot of the chemicals and the sunscreens and products that we use, it actually ends up into the ocean and it, uh, it does drive certain things away. 
there and doing some stand up paddling and seeing fish coming into schools that we've never seen come in and, and even big schools of, of fish that are normally you know, way further out into the ocean. Um, one example of, of, a, of a unique way the environment has shown to bounce back as we've kind of taken a step back. And um, I think we've we've definitely all had a chance to step back here in, in Hawaii, you know, and, uh, especially during the early times when everything was locked down. We were still able to access the ocean uh, as residents, but besides that, we pretty much had to be home. So a lot of families ended up spending time with each other, you know, paddling through or out fishing, and uh, and so that was it. To see so many people out in nature, and locals, should I say, out out in nature, and um, we definitely witnessed some, some interesting examples where the environment bounced back. That's really cool. Um, all right. I, I don't know what master of the ocean means. Can you tell me what that is? That you are the five-time master of the ocean? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was quite the intro there. Thank you for sharing. And I wanted to actually uh, I'm not, um, share a little bit of a correction at the beginning. I've a 15-time world champion, but I've won 15 world championship events between the sports of windsurfing, stand-up paddling, surfing, et cetera, professional that. And the master of the ocean is a demographic or, or the type of sport prefer the most. It's uh, five different ocean, uh, excuse me, the master of the ocean, four different ocean sports uh, throughout a week. And so they accumulate your results in windsurfing, kite surfing, stand-up paddle surfing, and shortboard surfing. And so the location that they move in the Dominican Republic is one of those spots where every day, you have waves in the morning and waves in the afternoon. So it's kind of a fully action packed day where you're competing in both surfing and stand up paddling. And once the wind picks up in the afternoon, the competitors get their windsport gear ready, the kind of surfers and the windsurfers. And then we uh, compete that through the afternoon in those two sports. And at the end of the week, they tally up the points and crown an overall master of the ocean. Um, and as well, individual champions of the ocean. And so, yeah, I've had the honor of, of taking victory in that event uh, over the last few years. But I've been able to attend and I've learned quite a bit going to that event as well because it's it's another unique community, similar to Hawaii, where there's a lot of ocean athletes that are very talented and diverse in, in a number of different sports. And, uh, yeah, so events like the Master of the Ocean and the Ultimate Waterman are my favorite category of competition because I get to compete in multiple sports. And uh, that Ultimate Waterman event that, that you also included in, in the, uh, the intro uh, is, is almost a decathlon, eight different ocean sports over a period of 10 days. And uh, so that that's also a really exciting event. So uh, the Master of the Ocean and the Ultimate Waterman and all that, it, it doesn't sound like, is it an endurance test or is it more just kind of a test of your overall skill? It most definitely is a test of endurance for sure because you have to be able to withstand 
uh, multiple sports and days of competition, but they are judging you not necessarily on your endurance or your stamina. They're, they're judging you on how you perform and, and ride on the waves. And so there's a number of maneuvers uh, that, that are, have different levels of difficulty and the judges reward the athlete depending on a few variables, including the speed the rider has on the wave, how much power and critical uh, level of critical maneuver we, we're demonstrating, and as well, diversity of maneuvers. And so there's a few different things we could look at, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's surfing is an art and not every rider rides the same. So there's a level of style as well that the judges kind of uh, incorporate. You know, it's almost like watching an Olympic uh, gymnastics event. You know, um, there's the same maneuvers, but the, and, but the judges judge each athlete accordingly to how well they execute it and, um, and the level of, of, of uh, expertise that it takes to, to stomp the maneuver. Um, overall, uh, are you seeing or, or kind of gauging an uptick in interest in the sports that you compete in based on it's outside social distancing is automatically inclined into this and, and, uh, and, and woven into the sport itself? Or are, are you noticing anything like that as, as kind of an unintended consequence of what's happening in the world right now? Yeah, you know, I think uh, even athletes around the world are are getting hit by this COVID nineteen pandemic or uh, globally. It, it's interesting because when it first hit, I was actually on an airplane going to, and uh, all I was with my team of of surfers. We were on our way to a longboard competition in Bali, and when we landed the airplane, everyone went into this panic. Everyone's phones are blowing up, and there's alerts going off, and um, we all kind of just became aware of this as we, the wheels touched the ground that this was kind of creeping outside of China, this, this crazy virus. And within days, you know, I, I originally thought, oh, it's okay. We'll, we'll continue on with this trip. We'll follow through with our commitment. You know, we're, we're going to be all right. Within days, uh, that event canceled. I think the second day we were, we, we were there, the event canceled. And then every day following world tour events where we're falling off the map. And at this point, I don't know when our next competition is going to be. And for an athlete like me, um, I'm somewhat, uh, you know, fortunate in a way because I'm not, I don't have all my eggs in one basket as far as being a competitor. But I think a lot of athletes out there really do have their, their value for their sponsors and as well for their success, you know, um, and supporting their, their family and their lifestyle and their training through their achievements and competition. And so there's definitely been a lot of, uh, a lot of creativity that's needed during these times. You know, we, we can't just be talented on, you know, at what we do. We have to actually start to utilize what we do and create a brand out of it. And, you know, luckily for myself, uh, I've, I've kind of been starting to play a little bit with that over the last few years. And so when the pandemic hit, I went from, you know, from focusing on training and competition to now, okay, I'm going to 
we're locked up home quarantine you know um no events on on the map i could focus on you know uh content you know doing podcasts and and promoting my book and you know doing online coaching but at the end of the day it's it's not doing what when I'm what I want to be doing which is on the water competing at a world level yeah. learning from other experts and so um a few months into this now I'm starting to definitely get a little hungry to put myself out into you know um into competition you know it's it's it is something that I'm passionate about not just the activities that I do but you know I, I really am passionate about competition as well it's it's something that excites me and I think pushes me closer to the edge and um allows me to learn the the, the level that that is the standard that a world level athlete should be at and um so it's it's going to be interesting to see you know when this next of our next events do come into play and uh, how everyone has has been treating themselves with their their training and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where the level is when when we do come back to the scene. Why aren't events happening? They happen out on the water. Um... Is it because the competitors can't travel to them? It, what's holding it back? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think a big part of it is the financial commitment that the people who run the event make. Uh, they don't want to have an empty arena, per se. For yeah. us, it's the beach, right? And so it's... It, kind of hard to run a successful event when all they could do is rely on their their online coverage whereas that's kind of what is now starting to come about you see a lot of online events pop up where i've taken part in a few since covid has hit um where people around the world will mark their gps location and have a, a certified um odometer and they'll do a, a paddle race x amount of miles and they'll crown a champion you know according to you know the distance and the time uh, that that they've that they've uh, paddled and you know it, it takes away so much fun out of it though not being able to do it with the other competitors and not being able to have that 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 energy to feed off of um in many ways, I've taken advantage. I've taken this time to really, uh, um, you know, I've been competing on three different world tours over the last 10, 15 years and traveling almost eight to 10 months out of the year. And so when I, I kind of had to utilize this time to actually say, okay, I use this as an opportunity to step back and to, you know, hang with my family. Um, and to train for my myself, but now it's getting to the point where I'm like, okay, when when things gonna start getting back into yeah. action here? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, you had mentioned you're, you're using technology, and you have a platform. I believe it's pronounced Blaze, B L A Y Z E, coaching. Um, can you kind of yeah. talk about that? That what you've moved into there as you kind of head into that direction in your career. Yeah, so I've been having a lot of fun as a teacher of the sports I'm passionate about over the years. 
And interestingly enough, just before COVID hit, I was planning on releasing an online coaching program. And once COVID did hit, it really kick-started um, the, the, the project. And now up and running, we have uh, personalized coaching for the sports of stand-up paddle surfing, stand-up paddle racing, uh, uh, excuse me, hydrofoiling, and surfing. And so three, uh, four different ocean sports. And you could work with champion uh, athletes and teachers, including Connor Baxter, myself, Cody Young, and more. And uh, you send in your videos, and we could, uh, you could actually have a, a Zoom call with that athlete. And it's it's found to be pretty beneficial. Huh. You know, it's a way that I've actually done my coaching when I can't actually be with my coach. Um, so. Uh, it was some uh, technique that I've used over the years that I thought, hey, you know what? Why can't why can't any level of rider have access to something like this? You know, where we could actually talk with a champion from our own comfort uh, of our home and share a video split screen with them, and then be able to talk it through. You know, and then and so that's kind of what we do. We we have split screen video of one side of me walking through the the, the instruction, the other side of the, the actual uh, ride or perform the, the sport at the activity. And uh, we could do, you know, slow motion video surveillance coaching and walk over the, the, the maneuver and the technique and the body placement and, um, you know, things like that. So it's, it's been really fun to stay busy with, with blaze.io um, and as well to hear so much great feedback from a lot of other passionate ocean goers that, you know, they might not have as much of a good opportunity as we do in Hawaii to access the water. I mean, there's so many other places in the world where they're completely locked down and you're not allowed to go to the beach, let alone get in the water. And so for these people, I think they're really finding benefit to, to, you know, go through. And if they have photos or videos of themselves, they could book a personalized coaching and then feel like they're continuing to progress and feed their passion um, and, and work towards it in one way or another. I'm curious your, your reaction to obviously the Olympics couldn't go forward with the pandemic in place and hopefully it will happen next um, summer in Japan. Um, this was going to be the first Olympic surfing competition Um what was your expectation on, on what the world would see um, from a sport that isn't new, but might be new to some people seeing it on that stage? We were all looking forward to our chance to, to have surfing on, on a, a scale such as the Olympics and, and that available for the world to, to see. And we would have done, I think, really good things for our sport. Or on another level, it could have done bad things. You know, if, if you really want to be the critic and look at it this way, you know, the location that they had it uh, set to be at, it very well could have been completely flat with no waves. And that would have been a, that would have been a really worst case scenario for us where we have this opportunity to showcase what we do. And then we only have a short window to do it. And in order for us to have that minimum standard for us to be able to compete so on the other end if we would have had 
anything, just the minimum standard, which is very likely that we would have had it. You know, I mean, it, it, it could have been um, really cool to just be able to see how the world reacts to, to surfing on an Olympic scale. And, you know, surfing is known to be one of the most viewed sports online. Um, it's, it's up there in the top if you look at the, the view count online. So it's the no doubt there's a lot of attraction to the life that the, the, this ocean, these type of ocean sports and riding waves. There is a level of, of uh, understanding that needs to be um, to, to watch it. And I think that's uh, like, like any sport. I mean, you might be flipping through the, just the various Olympic sports and not understand, you know, curling. Like, oh, I don't understand what they're doing there. What are they doing? What's what's the the point of this curling sport? And then you dive deeper and realize, okay, you know, you understand the basics, you know, the dynamics of it. Surfing, you could look out at it, and it's beautiful to watch. You know, no matter what, you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh my gosh, they're riding this this wave and and, and going up and down on the face of it. It's, it's like a you know an artist. Every artist has a different way that they stroke their brush ag- across a canvas. And surfing is one of those unique sports where you'll never have the same brush line, nor will you ever have the same canvas being the wave. You know, every wave is going to come in slightly different. And that means every ride and every, um, you know, um, planned maneuver is going to change slightly. You know, you can, it's not like approaching a, uh, a snowboard park at the, on the, at, at the X Games and planning out every maneuver in advance. You, you, you can do that to one level or another, surfing, but for the most part, one of the greatest challenges as a surfer is being able to adapt with these ever-changing conditions on the water. So you have to be fluid and be able to, you know, um, do your best to assess and to predict and to, you know, and plan out your ride. But for the most part, we have to be very open to how the wave changes and what it allows us to do. So, yeah, surfing, I think, would have been a really exciting sport uh, for the world to have have showcased on the Olympics. And they are talking about uh, another date to be decided to showcase and still have surfing a part of it. Um, I'm not sure where those conversations are, are going on. Everything seems to be a little unsure, you know, as far as competition, even on an Olympic level. Um, last thing I'll leave you with, we kind of opened this conversation about what a weird year this is and the pandemic and, and some of the things that you notice, like new species of fish. Um, and I have found when I talk to people like yourself, athletes who are on the water or even really general enthusiasts of these types of sports, that they have a true profound love for the earth and the ocean. And, um, I know that you are active in that sphere. Um, can you kind of talk about what you think your responsibility is to talk about protecting the earth? Yeah, well, I mean, everything that my life revolves around is around what the mother nature has to offer to me. You know, I've grown up around, uh, around the water and around the beach and, um, Spending every family occasion, you know, at, at, the, at the beach and in the water. And so, in many 
ways. It's a part of my lifestyle. Not just a part of my profession. And for people who have that connection with the ocean, I think once we immerse ourselves into uh, the water, we, we really are connected with this special um, energy that the water has. And it truly does connect us all globally. But what's uh, interesting about um, creating a connection with something through an activity and becoming passionate about it is you start to want to care for it. And so early on, you know, when, when I started to find a career out of stand-up paddling and windsurfing, decided that I, was, I wanted to share this opportunity with other young children. And so my, my uh, endeavors to protect the ocean started by getting other kids to be passionate about sport and from there connect the responsibility to care for our playground or our place of refuge, this church that we have access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, I truly do believe that, you know, for, for kids, whether they're in South America, uh, in the middle of desolate communities that are, uh, have the ocean there, they have this access to, to refuge and, and a playground they just have an idea of how to safely swim around or, or play in the waves or ride the wind. And um, same for here in Hawaii. I think there's, there's many people that have this escape. And the ocean, immersing yourself in it, truly can wipe away everything you're worrying about today. And you leave the water just feeling so charged with good energy and so present in the moment. And I think uh, there's no other way to explain it than wanting to say thank you to our voiceless friends. And so um, throughout my uh, endeavors, you know, as a professional athlete and, and competitor, I've always made it a drive and motivation to uh, have my results and have my training be towards uplifting my environment and my community. And so... You know, I really do believe that with, with each of my opportunities, I have this chance to not only compete better myself, but I also have a chance to, to share this, uh, this passion with other kids through my nonprofit kids program and be able to meet other communities and share this, uh, this drive to be a guardian for the ocean. And so, you know, we do that through all kinds of different activities, not just practicing sport, but also going and taking samples of, of microplastics on the beach and hosting beach cleanups and, and being able to, to show communities how easy it is to, to actually see our impact. Like we have such a huge impact daily and we need to embrace our power of choice to you know, make a change. And um, whether it's, you know, changing our uh, daily lunch and maybe bringing our own utensils so we don't have to get plastic ones every day, or whether it means, you know, rethinking our, uh, our, our way of living at home and how we uh, go about different methods of eco-innovation. But at the end of the day, I think it's all of our responsibility to get creative in one way or another. And and embrace our power of choice. 
Zane Schweitzer is a world ocean champion athlete. He's the master of the ocean, and you can check out his new platform, Blaze Coaching, B-L-A-Y-Z-E. Zane, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you, Bram. Really appreciate it. Have a great day, you guys. Aloha. On the next Future Sport Podcast. I think at the highest level, uh, trying to create a stable coin is a little bit antithesis to um, the entire you know gaming and gambling and betting world. Um, and so the fact that it can fluctuate in value actually just adds an element uh, to the gamification piece of it that customers actually like. That's Mark Thomas, CEO of Zen Sports, who is trying to find a new corner of the crypto market, sports venues, and betting platforms. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by Three Advanced, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out Three Advanced. They're incredible. Go to threeadvance.com. That's the number three advance.com.